You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. Hear that rain washing all the pollen away? Mmm, it's good. Allergy sufferers. Yes, but spring is here. We felt it this week. That was a good thing. Um, we are in the middle of this teaching series on the story of Elisha, and we're going to pick up at 2 Kings 5 today. I'll read it for you. There's a decent amount of uh, scripture to peel through. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And they brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand upon and call upon the name of the Lord God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. If I asked you to go 160 miles today to Rumsey, Kentucky, and there God would meet you, would you take the journey? Okay, well, we're getting somewhere with some folks here. Now, would you go the same, and by the way, Rumsey, Kentucky is southwest of Owensboro, for those of you who don't know. Would you take the journey on foot? Yeah. Yeah, in the ancient world, you could travel about 20 miles a day, so in eight days, you'd be to Rumsey, Kentucky, to meet with God. You going to go? 
okay? What if I gave you a horse? You could probably do that in four. All right, what if you took your Buick and you could get there in two and a half hours? You're like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Well, really, this is the question that's being asked of Naaman. Would you go 160 miles on faith for the miracle in store for you? How far would you be willing to go? And that was the question posed to the great general of the Syrian army, Naaman. He was uh, a great leader. He had beat up on Israel time and time again. And really, the question posed to him is, are you going to go 160 miles on faith for the miracle that you want? And as great of a guy as he was, the miracle that he needed was a cure for leprosy. And that was a pretty big deal because while we don't have leprosy so much in first world cultures, it still exists in the world today. It's not like you show up to the doctor for a sinus infection and the guy sitting next to you has leprosy. We don't really see that here. But the condition very much exists, and it's skin lesions that develop all over your body, usually starting in one specific place, and it spreads. And eventually it becomes so debilitating that it it literally cripples people. It's horrible, horrible disease. And the book of Leviticus chapter 13 has all sorts of prescriptions about how a priest is supposed to deal with this. The person comes in, and first thing they do is look at it, and then they send him home, and then he comes back again, and they look at it again. And finally, in the third visit, if it's bad, well, and the leprosy is spreading, this person is put into torn clothing, sent outside the city gates to live among a group of people, and this is how leper colonies started. And you say, well, that sounds so horrible. I'm so glad that we don't do anything like that today. And I submit to you, of course we do. We just call it quarantine. Do you remember those days of those uh, who had COVID? What happened when you reinserted yourself into society? You got around people and it kind of went like this. Yeah, of course. We do the same thing today. It's just the diseases or conditions are different. And the way that you stopped leprosy in the ancient world was you cast out lepers because in those days they didn't know where it came from or how you got it. But Naaman's in a favorable position as one of the great men of of, uh, Syria. In fact, we're told in chapter 5 of verse 1 that he was a great man with his master, the king, and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, if you read that, that should be a head scratcher for you. Why is it that God would give someone who is against Israel victory over his own people? And in fact, the scripture goes even further, says that he was a mighty man of valor. This is the kind of language given to David. So what are we doing here, God? But, and how many people know anytime you see a but in scripture, it's a big but. But he was a leper, we're told. So we have this really weird setup to the story. You've got Naaman, who's obviously a great military strategist, and yet he's Israel's enemy. He's being given victory by God, and he's a leper at the same time. He's unclean. What is it that God is doing? An enemy, a leper, is favored? And it points us back to what we've been saying all along. Do you believe that God can do anything, anytime, anywhere, with anyone, in any way that he wants? The answer is, of course, yes. Yes, he can, even with lepers and foreign generals who've been, quite frankly, whipping up on Israel pretty good. So what is it that God is up to? 
Well, as we take the story even deeper, uh, we'll have to recognize that Naaman's favor, and that's what he's got on him, the favor of God, Naaman's favor is even greater than we think. Imagine this. On one of Naaman's last raids, he's taken a, a little girl captive from Israel. And you would think that if you're that little girl who's been taken captive and made a servant in the house of the guy who beat up you and your family, you're probably not praying for him to get well. Are we tracking? I mean, you're praying, God, send down the fire. I mean, I'm talking some good Old Testament type stuff here. But instead, instead what the little girl says is this. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Even captives are for this guy. What's the deal? There's a prophet who can cure you, not just heal you, not just take away the symptoms, but completely eradicate leprosy and its effects from your body. That's what she wants to see happen for this man. And that word came to Naaman. I bet he thought it was something like good news. Isn't that what Jesus brought everywhere he went was good news? He shows up in a town and people start getting healed. Blind people start seeing. Paralytics start walking. Those with leprosy are cured. Those uh, little girls who have died, he brings to life. And everybody wants to go to check out this good news that Jesus brings everywhere he goes. So to Naaman, this great military commander who has the favor of God on his side, this is good news. There's somebody who can cure me. And the little girl is very much a hero in, a, in the passage, which brings up an important point for us. How often do you think that God is against you, and yet you find out down the line that he's been very much for you? Has that ever happened in your life? All the circumstances are set against you. Things aren't going the way that you had planned or the way that you had wanted. And then at some point, what you recognize is God has been providentially orchestrating all of the circumstances for the greater good in your life. Such was the story of Jacob de Shazer. Jacob de Shazer was born in Oregon, and on December 7, 1941, he sat listening as uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. Now, at the time, DeShazer was a hardened atheist, and he was hell-bent, I think would be the right word, on getting uh, vindication for what had happened to his fellow countrymen. So he signed up for the service. And in time, uh, because he was smart and hardworking, DeShazer ended up on a, a group called uh, the Doolittle Outfit. If you know anything about the Doolittle Outfit, it was a group of people who were trying to do warfare in a new way. And the problem that existed was, how do we attack our enemy from a long distance? In fact, uh, if you want to see a good schmaltzy Hollywood movie that's somewhat questionable, uh, you can check out Pearl Harbor. It's all about the Doolittle Raid. And so what they eventually did was they figured out how to fly bombers off of the um, aircraft carriers. Now, the problem was when the Shazer and his, his plane took off, they were not going to have enough fuel to make it home. And sure enough, that's what happened. They crashed in enemy territory, and he was taken to be a prisoner of war for a period of 40 months. That's a seriously long amount of time to be beaten every day, to watch your fellow soldiers die in front of you. And in his prison cell, he had nothing except for one thing. And it was a copy of the Holy Scriptures. 
So he began to read them, this hardened atheist, and they began to seep into his life, and he consumed more and more and more and more and more Scripture, and he became a Christian. Well, sure enough, he was released. And when he got home, he got married and had a child and recognized that the call of God upon his life had changed everything. In fact, what he realized that God was sending him to do now was to go back to the very city that he bombed, Nagoya, Japan, and God was calling him to become a missionary there. Sometimes, friends, God works in supernatural ways beyond what we could ever see. And how often do we think that God is against us only to realize we're smack dab in the middle of his power and purposes. And that's what happened in his life. What looked like was for his harm became for his good as he was able to forgive, to heal, and then to teach other people how to do the very same thing. We call this the doctrine of providence. God's providence, God's guidance, God's purposes, God's power is always guiding us. God is always reaching out to us. And two of the things that we've incorrectly talked about in our culture today is one, that this world is spinning out of control and that God is nowhere to be found. Nothing could be further from the truth. The second thing is we tend to call this world our world, which is the greatest mistake we've ever made in the history of creation. And I'll tell you why. Go back to Genesis 1, and it'll tell you who creation belongs to. This is God's creation, and God's in charge of it. It's under God's care, and in the end, God will fulfill his purposes one way or the other. You can choose simply whether or not you're on his side or try to be on your own. And so often in life, the detours that we take are really more about divine destiny, aren't they? What we thought was for our harm, God uses for our good. The, the pain that we experience along the way becomes a further experience of God's greater purposes in our lives. And that's what begins to happen for Naaman. He's got a word that a prophet in Samaria can cure him. And so he goes to the king of Syria and says, hey man, can you help me out? That's exactly what the Hebrew says. And sure enough, the king is in. He says, yes, I will do anything that I can to help you. And so he sends him down the road in today's dollars with about 150,000 bucks in silver, $2.76 million worth of gold, and a whole new wardrobe from Macy's department store <laughs> to go and see the king. And so sure enough, uh, Naaman shows up to the king, and the king is completely freaked out because if you're a king and you've been losing to Syria over and over again, and they bring an envoy of people with the general who's been whooping you, what do you think's happening? You think a siege is coming. And so the king, he realizes that he's, he's or he thinks anyway, he's being bought out, but really the problem in the king's life is that he's not sold out. The king's been for all the gods of the people around him. The king's been for his own wealth and his own wisdom and his own power. And that's the reason that he hasn't joined the power of God. In fact, the power of God is very much with Naaman. Well, sure enough, Elisha hears words of this, and he says to the king, hey, send the guy to me. And notice how the passage picks up at verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Let me stop right there. He went 120 miles with his army 
and showed up at Elisha's house in the doorway. And Elisha, when he gets there, sends a messenger. It's not Elisha himself. And he says, hey, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. You're going to be a-okay. Now let me ask you a question. If you just walked 120 miles with your whole army and you brought a Macy's wardrobe, $2.76 million in gold and 150 grand in silver, how are you going to feel when you get somebody's doobie telling you, hey, go down to the Jordan, it's 40 miles away? Yeah, because clearly you aren't hearing this story. If, if you're not mad, I don't know what mad is. I mean, can you imagine how that went? Really? I marched 120 miles for this guy? to go to the Jordan River? Are you serious right now? And in fact, look at what the Bible goes on to tell us. It says that Naaman was angry because I expected some magical prayer that you would wave your hand over me and you send me to the Jordan River? Really? The Jor and have you all been to the Jordan River? Look, if Jesus wasn't baptized there, I ain't getting in that thing. <laughs> It's muddy and nasty, and it's about the width of two of these sets of pews. It's nothing. There's a guy on the other side of the Jordan River with an AK-47 pointed at you while you're getting baptized. I'm not going there. Naaman was angry. I came 120 miles for my cure. Now where is it? I came 120 miles for Elisha, and you sent me your lieutenant. I wonder if we approach a lot of that kind of situation in our life like we do faith. Don't we? God, I've come this far. God, I did this. God, I've marched this long. I'm tired. When's my miracle showing up? Why did something good happen to them? I don't like this. You didn't answer my prayer. I didn't get my way. I'm tired this Sunday. I'm not getting up. I don't want to hear about that sermon, and I don't like the preacher either. I'm not reading my Bible. I mean, I've already read the darn thing. Really? And praying? I'm not praying anymore. I've already prayed about it. Either you're going to do it or not. I'm not serving on that team. I don't even like those people. We're getting somewhere this morning. <laughs> I'm not walking down front. Not in front of all those people. You know, I think, friends, we want the power of God, but it's always on our terms. Have you noticed this? It's like, God, yeah, you can do anything, anywhere, anytime, with anyone, in any way you want, but how about my way? I asked you this morning, would you go not just 120 miles, but 40 more? To the Green River. That's a picture of it, evidently. How far will you go? And if you get to the doorway and you don't get the miracle you want, would you go the extra 40? Would you turn back and quit? Because it's just like we said the first week. Jesus, 
has this thing about you put your hand to the plow, but the minute you look back, what happens? You lose the kingdom. Because it wasn't on your terms. And I don't know how it works in your life, but I, I sure find in mine that sometimes I'm not willing to go the distance for God's providence to provide what it is that I need. Are you with me? And there's something beautiful about the way God's providence works. Because we love the idea of grace. It's just like, hey, let's bring it right now. But more often than not, providence, the grace of God, it meets us where we're at, and yet it asks us to go a little further. Hey, I'm on up ahead. Hey, come follow me. Hey, take up your cross. Hey, you made it 120 miles, Naaman, but your miracle is 40 more away. Will you go just a little further with me? And the beautiful thing about Naaman's story is he had a friend who said, really? We already marched here. Let's go the other 40. You had this word. Let's go do this thing. Let's get in the river. Who cares? It's not the Abner or the Farpar. I mean, it's the Jordan, whatever. But that's where your miracle is. It doesn't look like the miracle you wanted, but it's the one that God has prepared for you. Would you drive 160 miles if you knew that God was going to meet you there and jump into the Green River with all the town watching and dip yourself seven times? Would you go that far? Like, is that what he's asking me to do today? No. But I think what, what the Lord's asking of each one of us is, will we make it the extra 40 miles? Will we take the next step? Will we trust that God will provide on his terms and according to his timing and not our own? You know, one of the most powerful people I met in the Christian faith was this person who had cancer. And they prayed with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength that they would be healed and had people praying for them. And I mean, it was amazing to hear, I'm going to be healed, I'm going to be healed. I'm gonna... And there was never a wavering. The night before this person passed away, I, I went and met with them. And I will never forget the look, the smile on their face when they said, my prayer's been answered. Now, I've gotten enough training to know in that moment you don't say a word. But I came to realize what this person believed and the impact it had on me. They believed whether they got the miracle in this life or in the next that God's providence was going to see them through. That God's power and God's presence never left them at any moment, just like this, the choir so beautifully sang this morning for us. And the same is true in your life. See, to name it, it looked like a dog and pony show. I came 120, you want 40 more, really? And yet, had he looked to the book of Leviticus, he would have realized they would have had to kill a slew of animals, apply blood everywhere, and dump oil over his head. Elisha just said, go to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times, and at the end of the seventh time, you'll be healed. And so, friends, how far will you go? 
Because the journey we've been on through this series is brought us to this point. You sacrificed your oxen. You got rid of the old life. You, you took the next step in, into the new life that God has for you. You've ditched the old playbook for a new one to be open to the power of God's possibilities in your life. And today, how often do we get to the doorway? And when God says your miracle is 40 miles away at the river, how often do we stop? If there were a word that Naaman could give to you today, I believe it would be this. Don't stop. God's always just ahead. I don't know what it is that you're going through in your life, whether it's a need for healing or a need to forgive or or a need to move forward or, or a need for divine direction. Whatever it is that God has for you in your life today, the word I think Naaman has for you is simply this. Don't stop there because God's just ahead and he's calling you forward. So go the extra miles. I guarantee it'll be worth it, whether in this life or in the one to come. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you We thank you that you're here with us and we long for more of your power and your presence and not on our terms. God, we don't want you to be on our side. We want to be on your side. And so today we're we're laying things down The need to be right, the need to be forgiven, being angry with other people. We're laying down our our sickness or our pain or our hurts or our struggles or our fears. God, we lay these things at the foot of the cross today. And we pray for your providence to provide the power that we need. We pray that you would give us strength to walk the road ahead. We pray today that you'd start a new work. We pray today that you'd have your way in us, in our church, and in this world which belongs to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And we know that you provide for us in this journey. And so you invite us as sons and daughters to this table today, and we remember that on the night in which you gave yourself up for us, You took bread, gave thanks, blessed and broke the bread, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was finished, you took the cup, you blessed it, you gave it to them to drink and said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father now and forever. Amen.